0: Monday, April 2nd, 2018. I'm Jeremiah Zimmerman, and this is episode 155 of the 5049 podcast. How are you? If you can believe it, the instrument that you hear behind me is a contra bass flute being played by one person in real time. Let's listen. Robert Dick is an absolute master and authority on the flute. Uh, Very few people exist at his level of musicianship. And I am happy to report that today on the show, I am talking with flute trailblazer Robert Dick. Before we get into it, uh, just a couple of things. Number one, May 28th. Uh, I'm going to be reminding you guys a lot about this stuff. May 28th at Arte, 67 West Street in Brooklyn, New York. The very first uh, live 5049 presentation. Toby Driver will be presenting a concert. And then afterwards, he and I will be doing a discussion for the audience, uh, which will be taped and, and presented as an episode of the podcast. We'll be doing these once a month at the venue in Brooklyn, Arte. $20 at the door, all the bread goes to the artist. You dig? That starts May 28th. Uh, like I said, I'll be mentioning it a lot, but uh, I- I'm excited about it and it- it's coming together nicely. I also want to say thanks to everyone who's been contributing to the Patreon. Um, it helps. And if you enjoy the show and you want to you wanna be helpful, consider uh, making a monthly pledge. You know, the show is, you know, it's, it's a listener-supported show, and um, every little bit helps. Go to patreon.com slash 5049podcast. All right, today on the show, Robert Dick. Robert Dick's a legend. On any instrument, there are few people... Uh, who have contributed as much to the language and the pedagogy of the instrument and the advancement of the instrument as Robert Dick has for the flute. He's born and raised in New York City. He's basically spent his whole professional life here. Uh, he's a classically trained musician who improvises like a motherfucker. And I've probably mentioned that before. That, that That's a combination that tends to be very pleasing to my ears a keen and open improviser who takes the best parts of the classical tradition and applies it to their work. So I'm talking about intonation. I'm talking about clarity of ideas. Um, I first saw and heard and heard of Robert Dick uh, probably about 15 years ago. Um, I've mentioned this concert several times. I was at the uh, memorial concert for Irving Stone. And Robert Dick did a short solo piece that completely knocked me out of my chair. Uh, and and in, you know, in the past several decades, he's done a, a good bit of work of solo playing. if you're an improviser or any kind of musician who's interested in what it is to become a unique solo improviser, someone who has crafted a language that is, is their own and presents you know a range of ideas you got to check out Robert Dick. I mean, he's literally on that level of, you know, I would put him at the level of, you know, people like Evan Parker and, you know, the people who have really put in the time to make their thing theirs. Um, and he's an educator. And when I say he's contributed a lot for, for the flute, it's not just the music. It's not just the recordings. Um, he's published several books, uh, most notably a book that came out uh, in the 80s called The Other Flute it's like a bible of 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 exploratory techniques on the flute he has contributed to the instrument itself he uh, invented a glissando head joint um I, i'm not even going to try to describe it but you know few people not only master their instruments but then go on to write books about the instrument but then go on to contribute to the design of the instrument itself. It's a it's a pretty spectacular career and, and output that Robert's had. Um, and today's a good one. We get into it today. Robert tells me his story, and uh, I, I thoroughly enjoy, enjoy this conversation a lot. If you want to find out more about Robert Dick, go to robertdick.net. Uh, it's, it's a vast universe. It really is. It's really, you know... A world you can get lost in. The recordings, the, the books, the, 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 the technique. It's, it's, you know, quite singular. RobertDick.net. And if you're enjoying this show, uh, please rate and review it. Subscribe to it in iTunes. Check it out. That's how these kinds of things spread, you know, word of mouth. And that's it. Um, I hope you guys are all doing well. Here's my conversation with Robert Dick. There's like a haunted house in there, and they got like 800 for it. 800, yeah, so it's gotten it was very manageable just a couple of years ago,
1: yeah. Okay, so well, it's something I don't have to think about. Right?
0: <laughs> so, I mean, you're from Stytown, that's like as New York as it gets, yeah. You're born and raised in Stytown, yeah. That was that must have been kind of a trip in the
1: well, you know, as a kid. It was just normal. I mean, yeah. there we were. Well, the thing about um, Steigtown
0: is that it's like kind. It's really isolated over there. It's like its own world. And it
1: it it, it, it is, and and it was uh, more so possibly than it is even now. Yeah. Although I, I have no idea what life in Town is like. I having, think it's contentious. I left it in 1968, so it's, it's been a while.
0: And, and did your parents finish their time there?
1: No, no, no. Yeah. Um. So. But at that time, Stuyvesant Town was so segregated. Yeah, they, you know there was like one, one or two black families, so they could say we are mm-hmm. integrated. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And the buildings themselves were largely segregated. Although there was a tiny bit of mixing, they were Jewish buildings, Italian Catholic buildings, and Irish Catholic buildings. Yeah, uh, Metropolitan Life Insurance didn't seem to have much time for Protestants. <laughs> 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 I got I, I, I no idea why. Yeah, but and, and and the kids all understood that, like you know, depending on what playground you went to. That's you, yeah. I mean, you are either going out to play, uh-huh. or you could go out and get in a fight. Yeah, but you know, um, so it was. Um, very isolated and very segregated and in many ways really screwed up. Did of. you realize at the time
0: I mean that that segregation was a part of it?
1: Yes, but um I don't think as kids as white kids growing up in the 50s it it in in a very white situation a totally white situation mm-hmm. what we didn't get was the wrongness. Mm-hmm of the racial segregation that for
0: you to be in that enclave of nothing but white people. You, you just didn't even register what
1: right. went
0: into that and how that. Yeah.
1: Right. Well, just very young. And it was, it was, it was the norm. Yeah. Um, and as a result, we all grew up, uh, I know we all, but many of us grew up very, you know, scared of, you know, I mean, black people were like, ah, you know, right. And, and what did and, your parents uh, do for a living? my uh, my father was um mr mid-level corporate america he uh, sold um uh, industrial plastics uh-huh. <laughs> so like if you needed extrusions <laughs> uh, as a matter of fact um so if you needed say um you know a few miles of garden hose he was the right he guy he was the to guy to call you. yeah yeah yeah, things like the um, the body of like the Bic pen, right? You know, the, st- the what was called the stick pen. Those things were in, extruded. The the plant was um, in Long Island City or somewhere in Queens. Yeah. That was when you know we made pollution like really deadly pollution right here in New right York. Right here, City. you know,
0: we were just saying a second ago, looking out the window, that you know the boats that used to go up and down yeah. the East River certainly a part of that was yes. delivering materials to the where there was actually manufacturing happening. Yeah, exactly.
1: But of course, in those days, the the sunset in New York was a very different experience than what it is now. How so? Well, if you looked out over New Jersey. You saw colors that, you know, nature did not create. Yeah. There, some of them were actually quite beautiful, as long as you didn't know why they were there. Um, there were <laughs> bands of these greens um and and strange mixtures of pink and purple, all of that, and you know, and in an abstract sense, it was pretty amazing. But it was all completely because of the oil refineries <laughs> and 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 all the toxic stuff that was. So I mean, the the actual livability of say the air in New York City has improved. Um, sure. Yeah. Still I mean, not that good. <laughs> Well, uh, compared to what it was, compared to know, what it was, yeah, and compared to what uh, you know the Trump people would like it to be again, right, um, right, 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 you know, right. Did
0: you, when you were growing up as a kid in New York in the fifties and sixties, did did your parents really like? Um, did, were you did, were you taking advantage of all the cultural things that were there? Were you going concerts and museums? Uh,
1: yeah, my my mother was a classical pianist
0: that's what she did professionally
1: well she taught she Uh never performed Uh you know my my mother was a poster child for why women's liberation should be there because (laughs) well because she's exactly the model that needed changing how so well she um first of all she was quite an amazing pianist yeah and um she was also a um a biologist. And in um, World War II, in fact, she was the chief biologist of um, all the army hospitals on the East Coast. And um, just after the war, a little startup firm offered her the position of head of biology. And she went out there to have a look. It was at some place in Brooklyn, and it was kind of run-down, funky, grungy neighborhood. She saw a rat and she went home. Yeah, it's young lady like the uh, startup was called Pfizer.
0: Oh my God! And,
1: <laughs> so right um, and um, anyway, she gave it all up—music and biology—to have children and you know to be a housewife. Yeah, <clears throat> it was not a great thing for her emotionally, but y- uh, that
0: she she yeah. felt that the rest of her life. Or?
1: Well, she. She never went back to biology. She correctly said, "If you leave the field, you've really got to start over." So much, yeah, it, it changes but, pretty rapidly. You know, but classical music doesn't. <laughs> you know, <laughs> say that again. Uh, maybe you know that's one of the core problems. But you know, she was not uh, someone who was interested in, knew about. Uh, contemporary music, uh, concerned sure. with contemporary music.
0: I mean, she must have been what born, what,
1: 1920 or 20? Uh, earlier, yeah. yeah. seven nineteen yeah. seventeen, 1917, something like that. She always um, fudged her age by about a year, yeah. and uh, my brother and I gave it to her on her tombstone, you know.
0: You what you found out the real year, or you just put...
1: We gave her the year <laughs> that she said. We knew well, it quote, was... Quotes in. around it? <laughs> no, no, no. I mean, we knew. Yeah, it was actually a year earlier, but I mean, right? You know, right? Give it to her. We gave it to her. I mean, why on earth not? So <laughs> sure. <laughs> uh, and um, but you know, for her, music was classical music, and and so we went to hear lots of those Russian home run hitters at um, Carnegie Hall. On
0: an, uh, or oh, you mean like um,
1: like uh, Sviatoslav Richter. Mm-hmm um you know, uh El's, um yeah. oh gosh. You know, that whole sixties pantheon yeah. Saul Hurock presents, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was at the um an edition of the um Piotr Piotigorsky concert. Really? and um yeah, I saw Jean-Pierre Rampal's first major um, New York concert in 1960 at the uh, Grace Rainey Rogers Auditorium. Can you still
0: access that memory pretty vividly? Uh,
1: very vividly. Yeah. Yeah, and it was a blast when I got to play there. <laughs> so, yeah. Uh, so. Yeah.
0: Did um? But did your did you have a piano in the house growing up? Did your mother completely abandon the musical no, no, practice? No, no, no,
1: We had her. Um, we had her Steinway, and she kept it in tune all those years. Um, she took care of it and she did go back, um, when I was around 10 or 11, something like that, she called up her old coach and she started to play again. Yeah. And, um, and that's when she also began to, um, start, start teaching. And, um...
0: What, privately to kids in the neighborhood kind of thing? Yeah,
1: there were plenty of kids and stives in town. Yeah, And my mother was great with beginners and small kids. She really had a way of, um, you know, communicating and understanding, and they loved her and she loved them. She always bemoaned the fact that, um, you know, just when they really started getting good, you know, or went off to college, they would study with someone else. Yeah. But the reality is that, you know, Uh, That was her forte, and um, they were ready to study with someone else, Mm -hmm. and I met various university and conservatory piano teachers over the years, you know, who go back far enough and said, well, when I saw that, you know, my student began it out with Eleanor Dick, I thought, great. I will not have to teach them how to play the piano. Oh,
0: that you was know. a thing. Like they knew, like this kid's in good shape. If, if yeah, if yeah, they did like five, the technique years. is,
1: you know, the reading is going to be terrific. Right. The technique is going to be is going to be there. You know, everything's really going to be in place. Yeah. So, you know, so she had a very good reputation. Yeah. Um,
0: did she Did she know that about herself? Did she Was she able to take a sense of pride in that?
1: Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. definitely. Yeah. Um, she, she, that, but. You know that that next level, where the students are older, um, well, you know, logistically, that just didn't happen if she had um, been teaching at some you know hunter college or something. Right. you know, but that wasn't what 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 the situation was. You know, in my own teaching, i'm I'm at the other end of the spectrum. You know, my mother was their first teacher. I'm their last teacher. Right, so.
0: right. Because you're well. We'll get to that. <laughs> yeah, but, yeah, yeah. but did you pick? Um, did you pick the flute? Was that yeah. your first instrument? And what? What about the flute called you?
1: Um, rock and Robin. Oh really? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. <laughs> um, and um, yeah. You see, when when I was a kid, we had two kinds of music in the house. There was classical music, and then when you were sick and stayed home from school, you got an AM radio parked by your bedside, mm-hmm. and there was Top 40 radio. Was Cousin Brucie around at the time? Um, Cousin Brucie showed up, I think, when I was in junior high
0: school. Okay. I know Cousin Brucie. Really? Yeah, he's, he's, I, mean, I know him.
1: No, <laughs> oh, from WMCA? No, was
0: I met him on the street, and I knew his voice immediately. I said, oh. hey, man, you're Cousin Brucie, and he <laughs>
1: lost it. He said, oh, my God. He gave oh. me a hug.
0: Um. So yeah. that's when you'd be able to hear pop music.
1: Yeah. So you know, like the first record I ever bought was uh, "Good Golly Miss Molly." Yeah, by Little Richard. You'd heard it on the radio. And yeah. said I got to hear that again. I got to have it. Yeah. Yeah. Um. And um, yeah, I tuned in around 1957, 58. You know, the time when you know when little kids start listening to music around them. Hmm. Um. And um. And so, you know, that's the music you remember because it was first. Sure.
0: But so when you you think about... Sorry about that. When you think about Rockin' Robin, um, was it like this thing where you'd wait for that flute to come back on when it does?
1: When I hear that tune and I hear that little piccolo solo in the middle eight, I go straight to heaven. It's it, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, And so, you know, I... um, it was expected that my brothers and I would all play a musical instrument. You know, it was about being part of a cultured Jewish family. Yeah. And um, although my father didn't play any music, um, he was a listener. Was he American, born here? Uh, yeah. 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 Both my parents were. And um, some, and well, at least one of my grandparents was. Um, and. I always wondered if he went to all those concerts, um, just out of husbandly duty and things. Yeah, but it's that also, it's a Jewish thing too. Like, yeah, I, I, I mean, but,
0: when I think about you know, it's it's always been part of the culture to yes. take part in culture, even if you don't really care or understand it.
1: Right, and but later, you know, I figured that he actually did like the music. I mean, that he had, yeah yeah when when he didn't have to listen to it anymore, mm-hmm. he still did. Sure. And I remember once um, looking up from the stage, and it was um, in, in the period when I was playing, you know, sort of mixed recitals, classical music and some new music. Um, maybe one of my first pieces was on it, but I mean, honestly, I I couldn't remember. I only remember it was a New York Flute Club concert uh, at what was then called Judson Hall, which mm-hmm. later became Cammie Hall, which later became A Hole in the Ground, and um, on, on across the street from um, Carnegie Hall on 57th Street. And I played the Bach A minor partita, and I looked up, and there he was, his face alight, really applauding. And I thought, yeah. holy smokes, I actually reached the old guy. Yeah. <laughs> <You know? laughs>
0: He 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 connected with your playing through yeah, the piece that he would already had a connection
1: with. Yes, and and but I mean it was really sincere. I could, yeah. could see that he really dug it. So so there was um, was that the first time you had that experience with him. Yeah, I mean maybe you know he was not exactly the most demonstrative of uh, fellows, and if he realized I was looking at him, he wouldn't. He wouldn't sure, have shown nothing. I, I'm him. sure he, you know he, he would have gotten um, uh, shy and inhibited. Um, yeah. So, um, but he, you know, my father who came from was the World War II generation. Did know. he was he over yeah. there? Well, he was abroad. I don't think, I don't think he was ever in combat. Yeah. And certainly, like all of those guys, they didn't want to talk about it. Sure. Yeah. Um, Same thing
0: with my grandparents. Both both sides, you know, were were in. Different situations. One one set of grandparents was in the camps. The other set was, you know, in the South Pacific. But oh my God. either way, it was not something to talk about. Yeah. Um, Did um, and you were, so your brother played an instrument?
1: Yeah, my my older brother played the cello. And how he chose the cello—that is lost in the midst of time. Probably because it's the best instrument but ever. I think I think he chose, He wanted to play the cello. That's all I yeah. knew. Yeah. And my younger brother um, played the violin. Yeah. 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 So, you know, it was an expected thing. So the fact that I wanted the flute was, you know, neither here nor there. Sure. It's like, okay.
0: And did it it click with you immediately? You felt?
1: I showed up from fourth grade one afternoon, and completely by surprise, there was a flute teacher and a flute. Really? Yeah. Um, And I totally dug it. Um, I gave my first concert that night. Um, really? Well, when my father came home from work, I set up two chairs, and I huffed and puffed through book one, page one, <laughs> in the Rubank Elementary flute method.
0: Day one, you were able to produce a tone and yeah. put notes together.
1: Well, you
0: know, you <laughs> some, know so, some in, in a that. day one kind of way, yeah. Sure. yeah. yeah but but yeah. something inside of you something felt like this that, that felt the need to perform
1: yeah well i could not have articulated it but i knew sometime I, somehow i knew that i had found it yeah. right then and there
0: yeah yeah yeah, there's a lot you I mean obviously this is very, you know, apparent now, but you know, it, it's when you find access to another level of expressivity beyond language and mm. and you know, physical interaction, it's pretty it's pretty profound.
1: Yeah, and you know, and, and in the sense the idea that we would make music was there. Did you make music as a family? Yeah. Um, I played with my mother sometimes. Yeah. And and I yes, and I did perform with my my younger brother. Um uh, my my older brother unfortunately was uh, killed in a, a surgical mishap when he was eleven so oh Jesus, so you know his his future yeah. just didn't didn't happen
0: yeah were, uh, were you able to especially with classical instruments, I feel like this is a thing with young people, mm. even if you love playing the instrument. You know, most of us like pop music or rock music mm-hmm. and there's like a reconciliation process that needs to happen of uh, this, you know, I love listening to this thing, but I play this thing over here. Did you ever feel like there was a bridge that needed to be crossed or
1: Well, um, yeah, um not not in the beginning. Sure. Not in the beginning. I was very happy to be a classical flute student. And um I I I loved it. And I was very fortunate in that, um, you know, my, my mother understood what good teaching was and she had found a good teacher. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, and, uh, the first teacher she called was, um, Samuel Barron, who would have been the number one choice who, um, said, you know, thanks so much, but you know, I, I honestly just don't have time for another beginner right now. Um, and, um. Every time she saw Sam in the ensuing years, she reminded him of it. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Anytime you had some like big event, he reminded she reminded him of it.
1: Good. <laughs> yes, my, my mother earned her capital M. And um <laughs> and so um and Sam of course said, well, you know, who knew? Right. Um Right. I mean, you know,
0: you know Chances are it, very slim that uh, the kid's are gonna uh, go on.
1: Statistically this. microscopic. Yeah. And um so Sam later, years later, I, I never studied with him, but he became a good friend and mentor, and I actually subbed for him at Stony Brook um, mm. quite a few times. Um, but my my teacher, Henry Zlotnik, that's Z-L-O-T, excuse me, burp is mm. not in it, <laughs> Z-L-O-T-N-I-K, yeah. um, had been a student of Georges Barrère, and, and one of the important things that Barrère inculcated in his approach to music was that life is too short for bad music. Yeah. And that, you know, he's got a famous quote, And I I do my best to live by it, too, and I make sure my students know it, which is we must keep our mediocracies off of the concert stage.
2: Hmm.
1: And, um, you know, I mean, he didn't object. There there are pieces that, you know, kinesthetically can be pleasurable to play. um, Calisthenically useful um, if you intend to be a non creative musician mm-hmm. um but do not inflict them on you know the concert goer please sure um and
0: sure what's what's often fun to play isn't so fun to listen to uh,
1: yeah well and and it's only fun to play until a certain level of awareness dawns um right at which point it's not fun to play at all, yeah, but um So in, you know, the, you know, years in the junior high school and high school, you know, the music I was playing for flute lessons was actually good music Mm -hmm. I played, and um, I didn't learn how much absolute garbage there is in the flute repertoire uh, until, you know, years later, I I went to... Julius Baker master class, and I could not believe what I was hearing. I didn't know this stuff existed.
0: The the actual com- compositions,
1: yeah, yeah. I didn't know this stuff existed, and I thought, yeah. where do the, I mean,
0: why, why um, does it under exist? what
1: rock did they find this, yeah. and and why hasn't it composted, um, and yeah, um,
0: well, but so wait, so when you when you think about your teachers, Zlatnik. yeah, who studied with George Barrer, yeah. Do you think much about like the lineage? Like, that have you inherited a lineage of of musical thought, teacher to teacher? Uh,
1: to some extent, yes, but you know, um, my teachers, one and all, were focused on orchestral playing.
0: Yeah, being a part of the orchestra.
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, that's what flute players did. Yeah. You know, I mean, Ron Paul. Well well Barrere was an exception. He made a career as a soloist as a soloist mm-hmm. um after Barrer, there was really nobody and then then there was Ron paul mm-hmm. um and um and there was room in the classical music world for one flute soloist right and you know and the the gig was taken <laughs> um deservedly so i sure. mean and and um and so all their orientation was orchestral, and, and that's a musical and a societal mindset. So in some ways, I feel a, a kinship, um, particularly through the concepts, uh, some of the concepts of, of teaching. Um, you know, I there because the goal was orchestral playing there was an enormous amount missing right you know it was essentially training to play the flute not training to be a musician um and um you know the prized values were of course you know excellent <laughs> technique nice sound you know impeccable intonation sight reading at an extremely high level Mm -hmm. Um, and a good musical feel. But, you know, the, the real, you know, interpretive questions like, you know, why is this music doing what it does? What is its emotional meaning? You know, where, you know, what are you, how do you connect to the music as music? You know, it was... Flute, then music, not music,
2: yeah, and flute, yeah.
1: and so I, 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 I do not continue that, um, and, um, uh, a lot of American flute playing sounded perfectly fine in the orchestra, but God, when you heard these guys play recitals, it was the most boring Just torture thing yeah. on earth. Sure, I mean Julius Baker was, you know one of the greatest orchestral flute players, and in terms of sheer command of the flute, one of the greatest instrumentalists, you know, ever to walk on the planet, but a Julius Baker flute and piano recital, you know, uh, was medieval, and um, it's, uh, you know, the experience of of hearing it and its length, uh-huh. you know, I mean, it was torture, <laughs> um, because it was just i mean and and that was for someone like me who could at the very least you know extract a flute lesson from it yeah you know i mean i could i could take notes and i could you know i you know i i, I could cognate that oh wow you know well, there's something I should absorb. There's a color I could cop, and yeah, I do need to practice those trills. But you know, right. uh, but for an actual music listener, you know, there wasn't even that. It's just a. <laughs> and so, and 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 so, Ben, who would Julie be playing for? Essentially, for flute players. So, mm-hmm. you know, it's a very kind of inbred. Yeah. Bird world. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. Ron Paul actually played, you know, f- for people. <laughs> Imagine that. <laughs> Imagine that. Music for humans. Yeah. Um uh, I mean, did you
0: uh I mean, as as, as a as a teenager, as you're getting more more serious about the flute and about music had uh jazz or improvisation hit your awareness yet?
1: Um in a very nascent embryonic way yeah um i started to improvise when i was 13 i was at a music camp um which was near tanglewood and uh-huh. It's beautiful in that part of the country. Tanglewood is gorgeous. And the sky at night, I mean, I'm sure the pollution and light pollution has reduced it, but the sky was was spectacular. I mean, it was awe-inspiring. And I wanted to go out and play at night. And I remember once, yeah, I want to go out and play at night. I grabbed my music and I thought, oh, wait a second. It's dark out there. I can't read the music. Thought, well, oh, okay, I'll go play anyway. Yeah. And and so and that's what I did. Um and I had a little theme which is long forgotten. I'd give anything to remember it again. But, you know, I don't know why it's and 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 I um created um a little conceit which went with my um already burgeoning love of science fiction. Uh huh. Um which was that I knew perfectly well that sound travels at the speed of sound, and I knew perfectly well that sound cannot traverse a vacuum. Okay, you know, um, but I, I didn't let that bother me, and there I was playing to the stars. So I sent my sound out at the speed of light, you know, so yeah. it, like get somewhere. And, you know, vacuum, schmackum, it went, you know, just right through it all. <laughs> and so I was really playing to the stars. Yeah. And to whoever was out there. And um, a couple of years ago, I started, you know, playing this improvisation I call The Answer because I thought, you know, it's actually been traveling long enough that. Um, it's reached a lot of spots and, and you know, maybe someone
0: maybe and, someone's heard it and they're responding and, to and, it. Hears, and
1: I'll play the answer. Yeah. So um but then um come the school year it went back to normal and and I didn't really start improvising um until until college. Yeah.
0: So you finished your you, you finished you finish high school and you went to Yale, is that right? Yeah.
1: Yeah. I was um I was fixated at that time, on being a great orchestra player,
0: you were pretty sure that was the path
1: yeah i mean yeah. it was it was really the only path that was presented and um and if you had asked me at age sixteen, "Hey, Robert, what are you going to do when you grow up?" I would have told you with absolute certainty that I would be the solo flutist in the New York Philharmonic one day, mm-hmm. and I was doing everything you could be doing that was the the big whale. Yeah, to um, you know, to do that. Yeah, I was at the High School of Music and Art, and fought my way to the top of the flute pyramid there. Uh huh. Um, and you know, I played in the All City High School Orchestra and community orchestras during the week. I mean, I was really on the case. Hmm. Um, and um, and so, in my um, Freshman year, I didn't go to Yale. I went to something called um, the City University of New York Graduate Center Freshman Program. Okay. Now, this existed for, I think, a total of two years. (laughs) Um, And the Graduate Center, where the doctoral students are, at that time was on 42nd Street, across the street from Bryant Park. Mm -hmm. And... I believe the reason for inviting 200 freshmen in was that they could register the building as an undergraduate institution and get federal money to renovate it, because it was a big office building. Is this was, that weird-looking white building that has that like slope to it? No, it's a few buildings. Okay. a few doors down from yeah. now, the College of Ophthalmology or something okay. is in that building now. Yeah, um, and. And that was the first year I wasn't playing in an orchestra. Yeah. And I wasn't competing with anybody. I had um, decided, under my own power, that Henry Zlotnick and I had gone far enough. Because after seven or eight years, we were turning circles. Mm -hmm. And I had actually left my parents' apartment and gone to a phone booth and dropped a dime and called Julius Baker <laughs> um, and asked if I could come and audition for him, and so I was studying with baker and um
0: so you you left Zlatnik to go study with baker yeah yeah
1: and 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 which was a fantastic year for me yeah and and I remember one morning I was there practicing, thinking you know not competing with anybody i really this is great i really like it i'm just you know doing the music yeah I really really yeah. like it and i began I realized realize that okay i've begun to evolve from some sort of flute hitman into you know into an artist yes you know, the very first stages of of that awakening yeah you created a lot
0: of room around the artistic practice yes. to, to feel and, that.
1: And um, in um, in high school, uh, the system was extremely competitive. Uh-huh. You know, they teach that. They got they got us to practice all right by setting us at each other's throats. Um, now I'm convinced there are other ways to do that, but right. that was. You know, that was it, and I had a flute enemy. Really? Yes, Linda Sandow. Yes, we met in ninth grade, and we, it was nip and tuck and back and forth all the way to his high school graduation. Do you know where she is now? Yeah, yeah, Linda bailed out of flute playing a, a long time ago. Yeah. Um, and, well, I after high school, Linda went to Juilliard, where I expected she would do great things. I mean, look, this girl could play the flute. Sure. I mean, anybody who was, you know, staying with and sometimes in front of me could seriously play. Um, and, um, and then, you know, I went off on my own path and I didn't hear Linda's name for years and years. And, you know, in my mid-20s, I began to, once in a while, I think, gee, where's Linda? I mean, she ought to be surfacing by now. Well, in nineteen seventy seven i think i was uh, that's when i went to this julius baker master class and there was linda I thought, holy smokes linda how you know <laughs> and i have to admit the first thing i recognized was her teeth but um and <laughs> <laughs> but anyway um Fucking musicians <laughs> and i said you know Well, you know, she says, I've been playing in the London Philharmonic. I said, London Philharmonic. I said, No wonder I haven't heard from you. You've been in England. She goes, No, 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 no. London, Ontario. Oh, uh, right. Canada. Yeah. Oh. And she said, You know, I got to Juilliard and I kind of collapsed. She said, You know, it was the competition with you that kept me going. I said, Well, Linda, for God's sake, you went to Juilliard. You know, is that not ground zero for competition? Right. Uh, and she looked at me, and with a straight face, told me about the person I was, who I no longer even recognized. She said, "No one could be as cruel as you, Robert." <laughs> oh. and I didn't even like remember who that person
0: i mean we're laughing you're laughing about it now but when when she said that to you what was your response
1: interesting question i i think i was kind of flabbergasted yeah yeah uh you know i mean yeah we were competitive but i mean come on cruel yeah cruel i mean but but I mean, it's true. We we were nasty to each other, you know. We took the whole. I mean, again, it was the the milieu, mm-hmm. um, which was toxic. And there's so much in the orchestral society that is toxic. Mm-hmm. I see. And, and and there we were, you know, test tube babies in um, the pure stuff. Yeah. Um. And and so it was very personal. Um, to me and to her. Um and and which is why when the pendulum swung the other way it was very personal for a minute too. Yeah. Um um and well you know that kind of doing things because you're competing was like a very you know faded memory. Um, it was ten years later, but it might as well have been fifty. Yeah, I mean uh,
0: you know it's not the most musical uh, approach to things. That just no, no, <laughs> not at
1: all, not at all. Did you did
0: you come right back to New York after Yale?
1: No, um, so I transferred to Yale as a sophomore,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and at Yale is when I began to you know really start. Reaching out to more music, and you know, I had I had met um, you know other folks, and you know this all musician all the time thing, mm-hmm. um, and I had, had you know a chance to dissipate and you meet a lot of really interesting other people, and the musicians I met at Yale were, you know, not the same kind of driven you know, pre-conservatory musicians that I would have known from music and art. Um, and, and so there I met probably the most important musical influence um, was the composer Robert Morris.
2: Hmm.
1: And at Yale, um, at that time, you could major in theory of music or history of music, but there was no music. Mm-hmm. So, so I was one of the worst theory of music majors ever. Yeah. Oh yeah, I failed tonal harmony not once, not twice, but three really? times. Yeah. Well, I just didn't get it um, because um, you know the the foundational pillar of tonal harmony is that the five chord. Resolves to the one Mm chord. Now, this is like, you know, religion in that there are many ways to believe, but you got to believe in God in some way. Mm -hmm. Now, if you don't believe in God, the rest of it is just a bunch of Byzantine, arcane, clumsy, stupid rules.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: And I didn't buy into five. Going to one, I just didn't hear it. Um, you you and, didn't
0: hear it. This wasn't a conceptual. Well, I could. I, I heard that it happened a lot, uh-huh.
1: but I didn't hear that it had to happen. Right. Five going to lots of other places sounded perfectly good to me. Right. Now, if 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 five doesn't go to one, two preparing five, you know, seems kind of silly mm-hmm. and, the, and the whatever it is that you're going to do to tr- try to get to two and and in fact this whole thing of a fundamental um, underpinning thing was the relief of musical tension and I wanted to know how you created musical tension and got it going and kept it going right Um, and the tension
2: yeah, yeah. I mean
1: it's exciting yeah I mean now, it was there also that, you know, I started to seriously listen to rock, you know. And did, I did what college kids did, you know, yeah. and hung out in the dorms. Smoked dope and, and listened and to smoked Hendrix? Smoked dope and, well, Hendrix came a little later, but okay. I listened to The Beatles and sure. the Stones and all that, yeah. I mean, uh, yeah. you know,
0: the vibe of that music alone is enough to just sort of set you off in a different direction. I listen to, like, early Rolling Stones records now, and just the sound of the records gets yeah. me excited.
1: Well... The sound of it is you know, it's terrific, but there's also you know an enormous emotional connection mm-hmm. to it and you know one can hear really good rock from you know decades later and appreciate it but it, there's that that connection of it you know that was like our music in our time mm-hmm. and and it's true um although. A couple of weeks ago, I, I saw on Channel Thirteen there was a you know one of their f- doo-wop fundraisers, right? Because they're, they're milking the baby boomers. Sure. And um, wop fundraisers, <laughs> right? Yeah, but they were young group as, as you know, along with the old, the old folks. You know, um, some of them were just going through the motions, and some of them still had something happening. Mm-hmm. Um, there were some young people, um, actually doing their own versions of some doo op tunes. There was this two guys, you know, like a Simon and Garfunkel, uh, two acoustic guitar hmm. singing doing a version of this magic moment that was absolutely fan- fantastic. <laughs> right. And 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 it wasn't they weren't cloning the old thing. They were really playing the song. putting their imprint on it. Yeah. Yeah. And there was this, you know, a uh, girl trio, uh, the Lovettes. It's <laughs> great. Yeah. Um um doing this is for the one I love, and wow, they just burnt the right,
0: rest. so but I mean, at Yale, you're getting into the yeah. life of being a twenty one year old
1: yeah and i and i and i met i met people who thought of themselves as composers, people your age, yeah, 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 as well as older mm-hmm. folks and um and you know and people who I just had um you know who had come to music through playing by ear uh and um you know and so so that all began to to wake up and i i went from yale to the yale school of music for a masters um as a composer yeah well i th- you know at the, i had already done all the orchestra stuff and i did and i knew that i didn't want to do it anymore yeah When I was 19, I spent a summer at Tanglewood, and that is when the orchestral dream went down in flames. Yeah? Yeah.
0: Just, right, you knew it wasn't for you. No. Right.
1: I mean, they kept their promise, which was, this is orchestra playing at the highest level. And it was. Yeah. yeah. I mean, everybody in that program could really play. Um, We had, you know, Michael Tilson Thomas, Eric Leinsdorf, you know, good composers, uh, conductors. Um, and I talked to um, as many members of the Boston Symphony as I could mm-hmm. that summer because I began to think, you know, something, something's wrong here. So it was something in the lifestyle that you saw? Something that added, yeah. I mean, in that the, the BMC, the Berkshire Music Center Orchestra, this is America's best student orchestra. Yeah. And everyone in it was kind of like me, in that at their school, they were the guy or one of the Mm -hmm. few, and everyone thought, as I did, you know, one day I want to be in an orchestra where everybody can goddamn play from, you know, first to last. Well, here we were. Mm -hmm. So cool, right? No. What did people do? They complained. And I began to think, this is the group of people I'm going to be spending my career with. Um, And so that's what led me to just see if I could talk to more Boston Symphony players. And it was easy to do. They all understood the mentorship Mm -hmm. thing, and they were nice people. Um, You could just say, can I join you at lunch? I mean... And, um, you know, and you could chat about Mrs. Dwyer for a minute, and then if you ask a question. And, and when I asked about the orchestra, most of them complained. There were a few, a notable few, whose eyes lit up. Yeah. But most of them complained, I thought. And their eyes lit up when they talked about their hobbies. Yeah. their boat or something. I thought, oh,
0: fuck. No, I yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I,
1: I can't. You can I see can't. down that road and see where I, can, I was leading. I, I, I can't spend my time in this group of people. <laughs> and then the other thing was the music itself. You know, at that point, I was playing certain repertoire for the second, third, possibly fourth time. And I thought, well, you know, gosh, at this point in my life, so many important things are just really getting underway and music the most important thing seems to be circling into a holding pattern and an afternoon at the tanglewood library looking at the boston symphony's programs for the previous four years confirmed that that's exactly that
0: sounds like a chilling experience
1: well it was but you know thank you tanglewood thank you for having the library yeah thank you for making it possible for me to inform myself that you know it's true i did not make the expected decision i you know and i was looked upon as this is one of americas you know young major upcoming or you know major orchestra principal Yeah. Flanks. um and you know I was actually in a position and seen by the people in that world to fulfill that dream of being principal in a major orchestra. Um, But something else more important had woken up, and it was probably, in terms of dollars, the most expensive decision I ever made. Well. You know I'm not making two hundred fifty grand a year in the philadelphia or Philadelphia Orchestra mm-hmm. or whatever, but you know you know as the Buddha. Would say fuck it, you know. Fuck him if you can't take a joke, so he yeah, has the joke's on you. Yeah, you know? yeah, 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 yeah. So, so I mean, when you, when you decided to continue your studies
0: with composition instead of performance, yeah. I mean, were you thinking of of that as being something that was going to inform your musical, uh, your 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 uh, performer, your sensibilities as a performer, or were you thinking I got to start writing my own shit?
1: Um, at the time, you know, both, but more that you know. I had um, already decided that I wanted to focus on new music.
0: Because you had been, okay.
1: Well, no, I thought about it deeply. And, um, you know, I came home from Tanglewood and I thought, okay, that's that. I'm not going to be an orchestra player. Um, What now? Mm -hmm. You know. Okay, that's decided. But there is this thing called the rest of my life in front of me. I'm I'm, I'm not I'm not giving up music. So what am I going to do? And and I sensibly, I think, started with well, what would you like to do? I, I didn't start with, you know, trying to fit into. You know what structure there was or wasn't. Mm-hmm. I thought, what would you really like to do? And I said well. I actually like playing c- concerts. I like playing recitals. You know, I know a lot of people don't, or find, but, but I do. Mm-hmm. Well, great. Okay. Well, now, what are you going to play? Um, it was very clear that the classical world was not ready for, um, you know, another Ron Paul. hmm and, that the, and there were some figures already arising. You know, the name Galway had started to be heard. There was Paula Robeson, um, you know, uh, uh, as the romantic music, um, you know, looking gorgeous and wearing these spray-on gowns. You know, and I didn't like the music and I didn't have the bod. So, yeah. Um, and, and Paula was already there. Yeah. You know, and she had won the uh, Geneva competition, uh, which was a major thing in getting a classical career launched at that time. Sure. And um, and thought, you know, actually, it's this new music that I kind of, kind of really dig, and and nobody is really playing that well. You know, I mean no one is really playing at the highest level. Um, Now, I was wrong about that. Sure. But by new music, uh, we're
0: talking about contemporary composers who were working at that time publishing new works. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah, Well, starting, you know, the starting point for flute is um, Verrez. Uh-huh.
0: Density. Yeah, Yeah.
1: that is the demarcation point. Yeah. And, and, you know, and, and followed by not much until the Berio sequenza. Mm-hmm. Um, there were actually um, some other good Italian pieces from that that time. Um, had Bruno magerna lived longer, his music would be better known. Mm-hmm. But, you know, it, dying young only works for rock stars.
0: <laughs> <laughs> some jazz musicians. I mean, Clifford Brown, you know, did okay as a dead guy.
1: <laughs> yeah, but he was already a star. Yeah. That's true. Yeah. No, you better be a star. Yeah. Um, and Clifford Brown hasn't really stayed there today. I mean, he right. lasted some decades. Right. You know, Janice is still there. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah, Hendrix. Jimmy is still there. Yeah. But Moderna needed to be out there advocating his music much longer. Mm-hmm. Um, and though he wrote some really good stuff. And, um, but yeah the the you know the contemporary classical 12-tone pantheon basically who were around at the time and um and there's a big space in my heart for that that music although you know i i I don't play it or listen to it that much anymore because um you know it it kind of folded in on itself and came to a dead end Mm -hmm. um and but then again a 90-year run is quite respectable
2: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: You know, like stereo music was a little flash in the pan and mm-hmm. um so um and i thought you know what i want to do is get people to write terrific repertoire for me and in order to know who to ask i really need to know about the music in order to really know what the music is about, I, I, I need to know it as a composer not as a flute player. Yeah. Um, and I had already begun as an... an I started The Other Flute
0: as, the book.
1: A, as, an, under, yeah, as yeah. an undergraduate project. I wrote the first half of that in my senior year.
0: Looking specifically at extended techniques and alternative... Exploring,
1: posi- exploring what the sonic capacity of the flute could be. Yeah um dismissing the idea of you know the occasional special effect and just really trying to but you know go just, just
0: let's stop there for a second because w- when you think back to that time that you first set out to, uh, on on the other flute did you have an idea that you know if by by documenting all these different this whole range of you know expressive possibilities of the instrument to then approach uh music from the classical repertoire with this expressivity or to look solely towards the future for what a composer can offer to
1: well you know the flute repertoire that was extant was already extant and it was created with a you know a very strong set conceptual set of ideas about you know what kind of instrument the flute is and what it does yeah, and what it does in the orchestra and, 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 you know and, and this and the solo repertoire such as as it was mm-hmm. you know had the berm flute been introduced 50 or 75 years earlier than it was you know would, would have had a much more interesting musical picture from the, you know the 19th century but there was great music from the 18th century originally for the traverso. Um, the nineteenth century is a black hole for flute,
2: mm-hmm.
1: and um, and then Debussy was actually the first major composer to say, "Well, wait a second, you know, this isn't what it what you're talking about. No, this is a real instrument mm-hmm. now." Um, and um, so, you know, the idea of say taking a box sonata and playing it all in it with a completely different set of tone quality. Um, does that really make aesthetic sense or tell aesthetic truth or? My first instinct is,
0: is to say no. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Well, and, and so what I have done is I've occasionally looked at, you know, transcribing violin music and using the chords and. Sure. And, and the um, expanded approach to color that, Traditional string writing does mm-hmm. have. Um, but no, I was looking ahead. I was, I, 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 sounds, sheer sounds. It was an exciting time in that every day I played 40, 30, 40, 50 sounds that had never been played before. Yeah. Um, I mean, that was really exciting. Now, what was What what I was going to do with them musically at the point was unknown. You know, I mean, I I had a clear answer in my mind, which is, Mm -hmm. I'll think of something. Mm -hmm. Um, And, Mm -hmm. you know, I mean, there's going to be... And and I was, you know, from electronic music, I was very interested in the concept of continuous transformation of sound. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm one of the last to have studied electronic music before the synthesizer so I, mm-hmm. I began in
0: So you're talking about tape machines The and...
1: classical electronic studio Is that,
0: that Columbia or
1: Well it was at Yale Yeah um, I studied with Bulant Urel uh,
0: Yeah I was just listening
1: to him today Oh cool Yeah Well, and Bulant would smile Yeah uh, Yeah the, the, S- the, Stereo music over, it over, whatever. Yeah, It's so crazy
0: I was just I mean I was going through like my library today and I was like oh, I haven't really checked in with that so you studied with
1: him? Yeah. Wow. Okay. Yeah. And um, and that changed my hearing forever. Yeah, he because, was... Yeah, because... No, keep going. I was just looking well, at it right here. You know, when you, when you...
0: This is 1960
1: to 1973. All right. Um, yep, there he is. Yes, his hair got white and very bushy. Yeah, but, and, wait, but you, uh, say, you say you heard
0: things differently forever after studying with him?
1: After after um, stereo music number two, that's a classic, I remember. Yeah, these other ones. I, have, I don't get this, or if you could...
0: It's pretty it, wild. Send it to me. Yeah.
1: Um I don't think Bulan's on the planet anymore. No, I don't believe he is. He's not going to be upset if I don't believe He was, what, it. Turkish? Yes, originally. Yeah. He was dedicated to Dario Semigan, his protege. Yeah. Yeah, she was his uh, technical assistant at the time. How do you like that? Um, and um, so, well, the thing was, when you play a note in a conventional way on any instrument, mm-hmm. you've got a whole package of things which you know, we put together and perceive as and label as this is, say, um, an A-flat on the piano. Right. Well, this is an A-flat on the clarinet or mm-hmm. an A-flat on the sousaphone. Um, well, and and many, many decisions are prepackaged into that. Yeah. Well, when you... Um, Walked into the electronic music studio, there was only one prepackaged decision you could make, and that was to turn on the lights. (laughs) Because that did all the expected things, and you did not have to sit down and design a filament. It was already there in the bulb, Mm -hmm. and someone had sucked the air out, and it was already vacuumed, Mm -hmm. and it was indeed screwed into the socket. Yeah. And um the worst thing that could happen is it needed changing, but but you did not have to create the light bulb. But everything else every other tone did, Every ass you started with sonically with nothing. And you had to make every decision about what what the timbral components would be, what the shape of the sound would be. I mean and and so, you know, I heard the flute then in a completely different way. You know, I was hearing all of these components, the overtones of what a classical player would, you know, dismiss as noise, which sounded really interesting to me. Mm -hmm. And um, so um, and that experience was um, really um, transformative. Sure. So, but you know, as I was working on the other flute, I was just thinking, this this is pure information. I'm trying to do this with no aesthetic bias. This is not about writing Robert Dick's music. This is about information that any and every composer can use to use for whatever musical purpose they choose. Sure. And... Um, And the other flute has worked. I'm I'm very proud of it in that that sense because you know it's still the standard work. Yeah. And um, and people are using it in compositions all the time. I mean,
0: it's definitely one of those documents. Like um, I've got you can see it sitting back there. This Philip Refelt book, uh, New Directions for Clarinet. Yeah. It's like a holy grail item. You know, it's one of these. It's one of these things that you know to this day. You know. Yeah composers, performers alike.
1: Yeah. I mean, the the other flute, you know, went in a lot deeper than the other books of its time. Yeah. And since then, there have been some others. There are a few that are standing on the shoulders of the other flute. Um, You know, um, there's a book on the oboe by, um, oh gosh, oh, a German guy um, with... um, using technology that was not available to me like frequency analysis programs mm-hmm. and stuff like that and then um there's um the clarinet of the 20th century there's like three or four volumes of mm-hmm. that for b flat e flat you know bass clarinet um by a, a fellow who teaches at uh University of uh, Metropolitan, uh, University of Maryland at Baltimore. Um, oh God, whose name will come popping mm-hmm. out of my mouth mm-hmm. in a minute? And Peter Veal wrote the oboe.
0: Okay. And
1: uh, well, we'll, we'll know the some other cat. <laughs> He's coming. It's coming. It's coming. Yeah. You know, sometimes those memory neurons have to do their little bucket brigade. Yeah. And um, so.
0: So being in that in that lab, the electronic music lab with mm. with our friend here. <laughs>
1: yeah.
0: It it sounds like it left an impression on you.
1: Huge. Huge, it, as I said it was transformative to my hearing which made it transformative to everything. Yeah. Um so um and I only actually got one piece of music done in the 2 years I was a composition student. Yeah. Um uh, yeah, my first What was it uh, called? It's called Afterlight. And um it's it's in the canon of of It's a good title.
0: Uh, I haven't heard it. Is it people play it?
1: Yeah. Yeah. And not for a while it was kind of ubiquitous, but you know, there's but then there there were not any other multiphonic pieces around hardly at sure. all. And um And unfortunately the the trend towards using the techniques but dumbing things down aesthetically hadn't started. So, you know, unfortunately the, the 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 bad musical taste of most performers yeah, you know. As you know, the the um what should we say, the furniture has changed a bit but the room is the same. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, because they're not they don't have a musical education. Right. They have a technical yeah. education. Yeah, you know, I mean, um, you know, a conservatory degree in classical instrumental music in many ways is a trade school.
0: Yeah, um, that's right.
1: Now, you know, they'll take huge umbrage at just saying it flat out like that, but it's it's hard. a trade
0: school for a trade that uh, isn't all that lucrative
1: for teaching. Yeah, although. Yeah it used to be i mean now of course as as um education is replaced with this screwed up corporate model right uh, i mean
0: now you know if you go to, you know you should probably learn chinese and learn how to <laughs> do coding code <coding, laughs> well yeah
1: i mean but you know i just came back from um a pioneering expedition um i was a guest at a flute festival in korea okay now talk about a blast from the past
0: well, going to you were in Seoul, or well, yeah. it
1: was in Seoul and then outside of Seoul. Yeah. But you know, lots of European orchestral players, and um, you know, and a couple of teachers from major conservatories. But there were only two people expressing any concern with new music at all. <clears throat> One, uh, Sophie Cherrier, who was teaching at the um paris conservatory Hmm. very french person playing in a very french way and having absolutely no interest in you know acknowledging that there are other things but having no interest in anything that isn't french right um and um and me and you know and i was the one who was like really blowing it open for them and um but the rest of the faculty were either korean classical soloists playing the worst of the 19th century <laughs> if there's been any change they they're, they're playing faster but that's it yeah um it doesn't feel any shorter but they're playing faster <laughs> and and um and then um and then well paid Orchestral soloists from Europe. Okay. And one from America. Um, One of whom, to my surprise, was the real deal artistically, and I'm going to be very curious to see what his evolution is. Sure. Um, This is an extraordinary person and an extraordinary talent and really um, an an honest honest music maker who's a seeker. A seeker. That's it, yeah. So, you know he's he's halfway out of the pupa you know <laughs> <laughs> well I mean it's a Shrek
0: I mean yeah. it's really it's really a Shrek and it's a lifelong yeah, yeah. you know
1: yeah yeah and um, but it will be very interesting to see what where he goes and what what he does um, you know he's he said ah, do I dare improvise in front of people I said well yeah you do it's okay mm. uh, so so he teaches creating cadenzas. He's, you know, he's like, he's inching into it, but he had learned some of my music, including things that use circular breathing, or, you know. Mm-hmm. I mean, so he's... But, but you know, the... But what the students are exposed to is like Paris Conservatory, 1912. Sure. and um, And there was a palpable sense among many of them that they're beginning to wake up, that, that there must be something else. We don't know what it is, but there's got to be something. Right. And, and my approach to teaching, which was music, you know, I had a lot to say about, you know, their flute playing. I mean, one and all, they, um, <laughs> you know, there were several fundamental things that, um, you know, needed changing um, but but it was my main thrust was music, yeah, you know, and and you know I had to get them off of <clears throat> we're here to learn contemporary techniques,
0: yeah and no we're not we're here to learn Our music
1: music and in musicality the that, and yeah and in the course of that, we are going to deal with a few techniques yeah,
0: things. but that's really it. I mean, that really is it at the end of the day is how do you breathe life. Yeah, into music, whatever you're playing. That's uh,
1: yeah. Well, you see, again, they're still in this very inbred world where you play for judges and compete.
0: And well, it's just a different activity.
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly.
0: It's a different you know, activity. Where
1: you're playing is divided into about six different piles, which are you know evaluated. Right. I said, you know, look, these are like bags of chicken parts. We've got wings. We've got thighs. Yeah. We've got giblets. Kids, what we're actually looking for is the live bird. <laughs> you know, so it's
0: really true. Yeah, yeah, the live bird with very colorful feathers.
1: <laughs> yeah, but let's yeah. let's start by just it's yeah. alive. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: So, you know? I mean, I don't want to gloss over too much, but when did the the move to New York and the the musical relationships with improvisers begin?
1: Well. I stayed in New Haven for a total of nine years, you know, three undergrad, two in graduate school, and then another four. I did not feel my playing was ready to take to New York. I mean, as a standard flute player, yeah, was more than ready. But for what I wanted to do, I thought I'm going to stay here where I can make mistakes, I can experiment, um, I can develop a repertoire with my friends on the faculty at uh, Yale and with the composition students, um, and I can work on my own music. And my first major improvisational relationship began there when I was introduced to a vibraphone player named Bobby Naughton, N-A-U-G-H-T-O-N. Mm-hmm. In a B O B B Y. Mm-hmm.
2: Um,
1: and uh, he was friends with a filmmaker I'd gotten to know, Stan Lauder.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um and, and we started to play together. And at that time, I was really like a classical flutist who wanted to improvise. And he was already an experienced, you know, jazz mm-hmm. vibist and sure. quite good. Um, and what kept it going was that I got on the phone and I got us all the gigs.
0: Yeah? Just well, around New Haven and around the... Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Um, and so, you know, Bobby was not one to say, no, I don't want to do this paid concert, you know? Mm-hmm. So we we developed, you know, a set of things we did and, and we did a lot of improvising, you know, comp- total improvising every piece we played I'd, You know, at best ahead, it was real 1970s stuff. There might be like eight measures of written music. Right. You know, and yet it would generate a very distinctive piece. Mm -hmm. Um, There's a lot about the way those tunes were made that really worked. And then um, at a conference on new musical notation, I was invited to, I met this oboist named Nora Post. And she was at SUNY Buffalo in the Creative Associates, mm-hmm. and she told me that you know there was a position open for the following year for a flute
2: hmm.
1: a flutist. And you know why didn't I audition? So I thought, why don't I audition? Um, Morton Feldman Morton was, the, was, was the music director, and um, and so I auditioned and got got that. So I was I was in Buffalo for a couple of years after New Haven. Did you spend much time around Feldman? Um, No one spent much time around Feldman. Yeah. um, Except, you know, people he was betting, and I'm not even sure about that. Um, Right, but... um, Morton was a very interesting person, but there was a real wall around him. Morton was one of those guys... Who knew 6,000 jokes. hmm. I mean, and good ones. I mean, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. sitting around with Morton while he's telling jokes, it, it, they were very funny. But it kept the conversation away from him from getting personal. Yeah.
0: You were aware of that at the time? Yeah. Just a guarded guy, yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
1: And look, you know, he was Morton Feldman, quite enormous respect for his music. And, but yeah he he was
0: into being Morton Feldman. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah, oh definitely. Yeah. Um you know there's certain professional lessons that you know are there for the learning by observing these people and now you know and how you respond to those lessons is very quite important as you decide who you want to be mm-hmm. and I realized I didn't want to be someone like that. Yeah. That's you know? well it's huge.
0: That's um, a really good lesson.
1: <laughs> yeah. But You know, I know in terms of my career, I'd be way ahead of where I am had I taken the other route. Yeah. You know, I mean. Yeah. I mean, does that mean that I regret the choice? Not really. It just pisses me off that, you know, by not being an arrogant shit, it's cost me. (laughs) You know? (laughs) know? That's one way to look at it, yeah. Well, I mean, gee, I mean, now, is that screwed up or is that screwed up? You know, I mean, I um, think
0: I think if, we, if we've learned anything, and I don't want to, com- I mean, I'm not comparing the two people, you know, Feldman mm-hmm. and this idiot that's in office now. But we, we we've learned that pretty pretty, you know, pretty clear that the bad guys often win. That it's the qualities of of mm-hmm. arrogance and and bravado that is well
1: having having one of these nineteenth century you know. Zip code sized egos, yeah, you know, has its effect. Now, the difference, of course, is that Morton was a great composer, yeah,
0: and his output was thoughtful and not, you know,
1: (laughs) yeah. And you know, Morton is, I think of him as a kind of Dorian Gray sort of person, you know, everything beautiful in Morton is in the music, yeah, and I'm sure that. You know, Morton must have had, you know, emotions for other other people. And, you know, I mean, you know, he had to be a complete human being in his own way. And um, I mean, to make such great art. Mm-hmm. Um, but the things that were a drag about Morton are are buried with him. They're gone. Yeah. You know, when what's left is the music, is the music. You know, that will not be the case with um the no, idiot. The idiot. Yeah.
0: Well, um, I mean, his the, the effects it, of his idiocy are much more, you know.
1: Well, profound and... and um, devastating. And widespread. Yeah. And ultimately shorter term. Yeah. But while we're dealing with them now... It's... <laughs> It's, it's, brutal. It's, 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 it's a major it, it's horrible yeah it's really horrible. I mean it makes us look back and say, well you know George Bush wasn't that bad that's yeah I mean that and is,
0: that's that's that is, I mean it's just we've gone completely through the, yeah, the looking glass
1: yeah exactly and when I think of the pain of the bush years and I look back and I say, like, well it was actually sort of functional is
0: yeah you didn't, you didn't feel like you know things the world might actually explode when you wake up in the morning. No. Um but so so you hmm. were so you you were in Buffalo, you spent time around Feldland. Yeah, And you there
1: also that. I met you know, I met a lot of other composers and um interesting musicians. I I had also begun ideas about redesigning the flute and um Jacob Druckman had introduced me to Boulez and um and I'd gotten an invitation to go to IRCOM for six months. Yeah where I went in 1978, um, or, or the fall of 77, I think. And um, and there I met Steve Lacey. Yes. Who had already been an influence. Bobby had, Norton had played me Steve's music. And and then I met Steve, and I actually got to play with Steve.
2: Yeah.
1: You know, in in some of the larger group things he did, and we also did a duo concert once. Um, and, um, you know, and the first thing I, I noticed when I, um, started to like socially be around, you know, jazz musicians was how much nicer they all were than Mm. classical musicians. Mm -hmm. How much nicer to each other they were. Mm -hmm. And then no one seemed to have a problem saying, man, that was beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. And, and of course, when you really think about it, well, their identities are based on something much bigger. It's like the the wholeness of who you are. Yeah. Your music, your individuality, you don't have to sound like everybody else. In fact, it's better if you don't. Yeah.
0: Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Uh, That's uh, what
1: you're being judged on. Is, yeah, it's yeah. better to be like you. How many notes does it take to know you're listening to Steve Lacey? How many notes does it take to know you're listening to Johnny Hodges or mm-hmm. Duke Ellington?
2: Mm-hmm.
1: You know? Um and, and you know, so it's not about doing the same thing as everybody else, you know, just a tiny bit better. Mm-hmm. Um and and nor is it going through this audition hoops of fire system. So I mean, you know, their their experiences people in the jazz world will tell you about as well, which, you know, they're doing Sure, of course. Yeah, there. yeah. There's
0: plenty of darkness there. Yeah. Yeah.
1: But um and so that's when I began to seek out, you know, and through Steve I met inter- really interesting in a range of yeah. uh, uh, other players, and, um, and that's when I began to look for that kind of association. So when I, when I left Buffalo, um, sadly, I was the last creative associate. I was there when the university shut down the center and the center for creative and performing arts it was called and what a shame because you know I left New Haven teaching 25 beginners and intermediate kids a week and suddenly I had all my time to practice Mm-hmm. you know and I, I really put my playing together yeah that's
0: when you put it together for us that's,
1: that's well you know it was well underway but that was an enormous kick you know that's when I got to work with you know talk and yeah and and meet composers like uh, William Hellerman uh-huh. and um, you know and Earl Brown and yeah, yeah, yeah. so um and And it was time for me to go. That was fine. But it was just a shame that, you know, no one else was going to come and take my place. And yeah. In the days when it started in the 60s, there were as many as like 16 people involved in the group. There was a whole community. And I missed those years. Yeah. You know, I'm, I'm, I've often thought of myself, I'm, I'm the jackal who licked up the last, the last the last, little spot of gravy yeah. uh, uh, from the, the, the banquet of what had been the 60s. Yeah, <laughs> you know?
0: because it was something. Yeah. I mean, now that you're teaching at NYU, I mean, you know, the world, specifically this world, must feel quite different from the world that you first experienced, whether it was, you know, the electronic well, yeah. music at Yale or the... Well,
1: yeah, but, you know, I'm, t- I'm, I'm an adjunct at NYU, I'm not a professor. I'm not um I have very very little involvement with the school. Yeah. It's it's you know NYU is a pioneer and proud of its leadership in this corporate model which is so wrong. It's a corporate model. It's wrong for the students, it's wrong yeah. for the faculty, it's wrong, wrong. for humanity. I mean, it's, yeah, it's just wrong but you know and so like all the adjuncts I go, I teach my students and I leave. You know, I if I see any other faculty members, um, it's perchance they're there when I'm there. Um, I've never been to a faculty meeting at NYU,
2: mm-hmm.
1: um, nor am I invi- You know, would I be invited to one? Um, and the only time I see other other faculty is I go to Robert Rose uh, Super Bowl party each year, right? And I see more um, other NYU people there than any other time of the year
0: yeah I mean the corporate model what does that look like for I mean what wh- what's the biggest shift that you've seen
1: well the biggest shift is that you know there is no I mean from the faculty point of view and we'll look at it both from the faculty and student point of view from the faculty point of view um, there is no security right there are minimal benefits right you know, I mean, so they're all yeah. things to
0: save money for the company.
1: Yeah, 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 yeah. The NYU adjuncts union actually joined the Teamsters because they knew how tough negotiating healthcare was going to be. Yeah. So I'm I'm a member of the Teamsters. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> Jimmy Hoffa. <laughs> <Anyway>. <laughs> <laughs> so So, um, and. What's that h connection Jimi hendrix jimmy hoffa Jimi- yeah, 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 yeah. All, all the cats so um and um but and from the students like i have no office hours right i have no studio there I have no filing cabinets full of repertoire. Right. There's no sound system. We can't listen to music. Right. There's no CD collection there for them, to hear. Right. Um, you know, there's there's none of the things, that your teacher at X Y or Z school traditionally had,
0: to create an environment yeah. where yeah where yeah. something really fulfilling and enriching can happen.
1: And also just resources. You yeah. Know? The professional library that's right there. You know. Oh well, we let's look it up. You know, yeah. and be able to do that. Um, you know, granted, we can get online to Wikipedia or something now, but still, there's something profound missing um, in that. You know, the room is mine, and the hours, it's mine. And then I leave. I mean, yeah. And 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 so. And yet, it costs the students more than ever. Um, and so, um, but you know, I, I tried for several years. I tried very hard to get an actual, real flute professorship somewhere, and it just didn't work because you know I'm I'm not the same as those guys. Yeah, you know. Um, the search committee, which I met in, you know, five or six times, consists of the clarinet player, the oboe player, the bassoon player, the classical saxophonist, if they have one, right. somebody from the band or orchestra, and one other who is never a composer, never a jazzer, it's just, you know, some random instrumentalist, pianist, or violist, or something. Mm hmm. The one other is going to always go along with what the wind players want because it's their department. Mm -hmm. And the buzzword one constantly hears is we're looking for the right fit, which on the surface sounds reasonable enough. Sure. But what does the right fit actually mean in that context? It means we're looking for someone just like us. Yeah. Um, You know, a garden variety, conservatory trained, woodwind player with a doctorate. Yeah. And um, creativity... No. Um, Being off the page? No. Writing your own music? No. Having a solo career? No. And they perceive all those things not as, wow, we can bring all these strengths to our department, Mm -hmm. but as threats. Threats. And, And again, that's the toxicity of the system. You know, he can do these things, I can't do them. That's a threat. Instead of, he can't do these things, but we can add them to the department.
0: Yeah, it, it will enrich the department.
1: Well, yeah, I mean, I don't have to do those things. He can do those things. Yeah. Well, this is the energy-efficient way of actually bringing them in. Yeah. Right? We get him to do Is that. this
0: a case you've found yourself making for years and just sort of...
1: Um, it... it no, I could, I, I could see it in their eyes. Yeah, I never left an interview feeling like I got the job. I just knew, I knew I didn't. Yeah, um, and uh, even though you know whether I had worked miracles at the master class or not, um, and you know a number of times I've gone back to those places to give master classes in you know, later years, and people from those committees sometimes you know, show up and observe. Mm-hmm. You know, and I wonder what they're thinking like oh, maybe we maybe we actually missed our chance here, but maybe not, who knows mm-hmm. it doesn't matter mm-hmm. um, but you know, I would have liked that security, I would have liked the opportunity to get those grants. I've never had a sabbatical, and never will, right, uh, but I mean, you know,
0: you've been able to collaborate with improvisers, you've been able to tour, you've been able to build uh an output and a body of work that's exclusively yours.
1: Yeah, yeah, oh sure. It's, it's 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 not that okay, I didn't, you know, get the flute professorship at X, you know. Yeah. X State University um I'm a failed human. Right. Um but it, it would have it could have been a great platform to do things from. Yeah. And I would have had access to more and often better students. <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, because of the scholarships yeah. and things like that. I've lost so many students who didn't come to NYU because it just costs too much. Yeah. And they don't have the um, a, a good scholarships. Yeah. And and what are you going to say to the parent? You know, actually, one hundred and fifty grand in debt, it's, it's, it's okay. It's yeah. really okay. Yeah, right. You know don't worry <laughs> no no
0: it's it's, in, it's insurmountable it's insurmountable
1: uh, yeah I mean the fact that your daughter is going to study with a teacher who's has much less to offer her than I well you know so be it but there's that 150 grand you know That's right. now, if it was being paid to me well, that might be something else but it's not <laughs> it's not even going to me yeah you know Yeah, yeah it's yeah. coming from you and it's not going to me you know Yeah. So.
0: and are you still performing a lot outside of, of of the world of classical music are you
1: um I I I do when I can um yeah you know improvised music has been very devalued well yeah yeah uh, that's and um you know I play a number of Concerts. I, I think I've got you in my email list now.
0: Yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: Yeah. And and, um, and where were you at Spectrum two weeks ago on Saturday? But, um, <laughs> uh, um, you know, and sometimes you go to play for the love of music, but um, if you come home with $25, you've done okay in that sphere. I mean, it's ridiculous. Yeah. You know, now, if that money actually was important, you know, I would be in very desperate straits. You know, I'd be really living as a poor person.
0: Well, so how do we fix that? I mean, what what can what can the average improviser do mm. to somehow, in some way, create a better situation for themselves and others?
1: Well... people um who are willing to put the energy into it you know can go the nonprofit route
2: mm-hmm.
1: you know which is a lot of work but um and even so in um, this you know improvised music in funding circles is considered less value than notes yes. on the page yes you know i've been on the new york state council of the arts music panel yeah you know and argued this argument you know which is fundamentally what do you hear do you hear notes on the page or do you hear music you know it's what you hear that matters isn't it yes does it matter that some people are reading notes and some people are not i don't think so but they do and and the people who have you know funding sources in their hands are holding on tightly because those are shrinking away. Yeah. Um, and, you know, who was it? Um, Lou Harrison mm-hmm. talked about how, you know, important American music has been in the hands of amateurs for years. You know, I've, Cage, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, people who had money or who made money some other way. Mm-hmm um and and so you know people need to find a way to float the boat and everybody has to sort of figure that out somehow for themselves Mm -hmm. Um, a career in music in all kinds of music today is a big do-it-yourself kit Mm -hmm. Um, there are very few infrastructure jobs where you know you audition for it and or interview for it and and then there's kind of a preset thing that you do. Um, you know, I mean, yes, there's always going to be a, well, at least for the conceivable future, a Philadelphia Orchestra or a New York Philharmonic. Um, you know, sucking up vast amounts of funding. Sure, or sure. Metropolitan Opera, but um, but the number. Of people that's actually going to support artistically is tiny, yeah, um you know every year the conservatories turn out more flute players than you know the world's orchestras could possibly absorb um and what um what are those folks going to do um and you know, and I've met a lot of the people who do successfully have those jobs mm-hmm. and yeah, they're not necessarily the most interesting musicians, in fact, very rarely are they. They're good, solid players who are totally prepared, work very hard, um, don't necessarily have that much on their own to say. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, it's a rare one who does, um, but they, they have all the skills of, and, and they really understood how to prepare and play a winning audition, which is a whole thing in itself Um, and um, but in terms of the person for whom creativity and artistic expression is important um, you know number one like it or not you're on your own Mm -hmm. and and it's a conundrum that needs to be solved in different ways now i i know for example a cellist very passionate cellist and good who's also a programmer he's uh, he's designed systems Mm -hmm. he said look i really enjoy this work and i enjoy music and the difference is in my musical career i only do the things i want to do i don't have to take every crap gig that comes along Yeah, yeah, yeah Um, I don't have to say yes, 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 when my heart is screaming, no, not again. Mm -hmm. Um, So, you know, that's a plus. Um, You know, yes, it's much harder for me to, like, go off on a tour, but, you know, I play chamber music and I play in a few orchestras, and I'm a happy freelancer in my yeah my region which is essentially my level yeah so I'm fulfilled at my potential yeah so I can see for you that wouldn't work yeah but you know um and then you know other people you know find something that they can make their living at um you know teaching in various ways um because i also do a lot of master classes things like that you know that's probably the num- the largest single source of my income yeah you know i sell i have i have a little company that makes and sells my glissando head joint mm-hmm. um my 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 books and music do sell enough each year that it is a meaningful yeah stream but I mean
0: it, it's at that income. point for I think so, most people is that you have to be you really need to construct your living from multiple sources. Yes, and hopefully you can find as much meaning as possible within each of those and as they are as an aggregate.
1: Right. you know, and then over the course of my career. I have focused on identifying the next thing I want to do, and also the next thing I want to get rid of.
0: That's a big one. Yes. Yeah.
1: Yes. You know, like the day when I hit, you know, because I I did have a professional orchestral job. Uh, I was principal flute in the Brooklyn Philharmonic, and the day I could quit, that was with a song in my heart. Sure. And, um, you know, and so, you know, there was reaching the level in my 20s where, you know, everything I did for money had something to do with music. Something. You know, know, getting rid of, like, the last non-musical job, that was... That's a big step. That was really important. Yeah. And that was a summer working in the morgue at Yale New Haven Hospital. I really felt like there's Orp- an interesting
0: parallel there
1: <laughs> I really felt like uh, Orpheus coming out of the underworld yeah when I walked into the sun oh that my day. god I said that's it I'm done well, I'm never gonna make another dime again if it has nothing to do with music
0: yeah that, I mean that's it you
1: yeah. know I think we've done well here yeah
0: yeah thank you for coming over and talking man
1: now, now tell me more about what um, this is all about
0: here I'll shut the mics off and we'll do that uh, thank you Yeah. All right. That was Robert Dick. I hope that you guys enjoyed that. Uh, He's he's a special character. He's done a lot for music. He's done a lot for his instrument and uh, his playing is extraordinary. I should also mention that all the music that I played today, including what you hear behind me right now, is from a record that Robert put out last year on Zodiac called Our Cells Know. It's a record of all solo pieces for contrabass flute. Um, It's unlike anything I've ever heard. It's pretty, pretty spectacular. I would say it's an important contribution to music. Check it out. Our cells know. Zodic Records. And that's it. You know, if you want to find out more about Robert Dick, go to robertdick.net. Alright. I hope you guys are doing well. Uh, We'll be back next week. Until then, be excellent to each other. Bye.